last week here in Minnesota, we've been living through sub-zero temperatures. Last Friday, a semi flipped over and spilled its load out all over the highway, which were potatoes. And the potatoes froze in this sub-zero temperatures. You guys are like in Minnesota. You can have a bunch of guys like skate out there with their hockey sticks and clear the highway. Twitter went crazy with all of these great tweets about it. To the extent of like, watch your spud limit. Oh, boy. Or another one said, Minnesota road potatoes plus road salt equals halfway to a tater tot hot dish. The the best one of all was uh, tots and prayers to everyone out on traffic this year. This oh, man. Day. There it was. There it is. There it is. A whole highway full of tots and prayers. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 260. I am Reed Smith, that is Chris Boyer, and you are listening to Touchpoint. I'm just busy over here making up a tater tot hot dish, Reed. And from what happened last week, I got some free potatoes off the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can't really go bad, I don't guess. I mean, you're going to peel them anyway. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from all produce related. Uh, traffic accidents. Yeah. <clears throat> at this point. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for yet another week at Touchpoint. We have hit number 260. And I think... Oh, what we're probably just an episode or two now from uh, what our anniversary show, which would be kicking off year six, somewhere around the first of February. That's right. That's right. So we uh, we certainly couldn't do this without you, and we appreciate everybody's willingness to tune in each and every week. If you are new to the show, welcome. Uh, I'd like to give a plug for the website touchpoint.health. If you navigate over there, again, touchpoint.health, you can find out more about the episode that you're listening to today. Check out the show notes, all that kind of fun stuff. You can also learn a little bit more about Chris or I and the show itself, other shows on the network, show hosts, topics, et cetera. It's all there. While you're there, you'll notice up in the top hand navigation, something called the TPS report. TPS report is a weekly email. Comes out each Monday with five articles to start your week. That's it. That's all it is. So if you'll click on that, drop your email to us, we'll make sure you get added to that list and you can start uh, receiving a quick read that will get you off uh, off and started on a Monday morning. Uh, let's pause here for just one second and then uh, we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose Reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. 
And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, I'm excited to talk about today's conversation because we've been thinking a lot about in our hospital and health systems, the role of our hospital brand and how it's changing and shifting in our community. It's interesting, right? Because, you know, I think there's a difference between our brand, our people that work at the organization, what people think about either or. I mean, certainly the pandemic has heightened awareness, you know, and people's probably perception in one way or the other. But yeah, I mean, brand and and brand trust is a big thing. Yeah, and you're right. People's heightened awareness around just healthcare in general has increased significantly over the last couple of years, obviously, since we're struggling with the worldwide pandemic. But the role of hospitals and health systems, and, and specifically the role of their brand in alignment with their community, has become even more and more important. As I was thinking about this, wouldn't you know what Edelman's trust barometer came out for 2022? Yes. So we thought we'd start off first talking a little bit about that. So what is Edelman's Trust Barometer, Reed? It's an annual survey, which is actually in its 22nd year. Yeah. Which is, uh, that's a lot. It's hard to believe. We'll have links to all this in the show notes, but 28 countries, over 36,000 respondents. So again, this isn't a few hundred folks just weighing in on what they think. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and to Edelman, really, they believe that the ultimate currency of the relationship that all institutions have companies, brands, Mm -hmm. et cetera, with their stakeholders is around this concept of trust. Trust defines an organization's ability to operate, lead, and succeed. And they even call out it's the foundation that allows them to organize to take responsible risk, and if they make mistakes, to rebound from them. So to Edelman, trust and brand go hand in hand. It's not a logo. It's not what colors and your color palette and your tagline and some of those types of things. I mean, that may be a manifestation of the brand itself really is, you know, uh, what people think of you. It's that reputation that precedes you, if you will. What's interesting about Edelman, they look at all different types of institutions. So companies, governments, NGOs, media, et cetera, as part of this study that they do. And and of course, no surprise, we've heard it echoed in other studies that you and I've talked about on the show before. Some of their findings are, sh- are showing that government and media certainly are having a problem with trust in society. In fact, they almost are seen as being divisive in society. Does that surprise you? No. We saw it I, over... The time I was at Girard, I, I think, you know, we did three and I think they've come out with now a fourth study and survey. Uh, and a lot of it was around safety and trust and willingness to return and, you know, those types of things. And trust was leading the pack was always doctors, nurses, et cetera. But the government, media, local or national elected officials, et cetera, were always at the bottom of that list. And since they've been doing this study for so long, Edelman has noticed that news sources have been continually kind of slowly declining, but over the last couple of years has seen a significant drop in the trust that they have. They actually moved from above 50% of trust to below 50% of trust. That moves into the what they call the distrust category, which 
is a challenge, and particularly for those people listening in that are, you know, working with media relations and community outreach and things like that, to see that news sources are failing to fix their trust problem is a big issue here. You know, we've seen a lot about fake news that continues to be worrisome. Again, that was one of their their stats in here. Uh, you know, that I worry about false information, fake news being used as a weapon. I mean, wow. just, that is, that's high. And you see it in some of the countries, you know, leading the pack like Spain and Colombia, Mexico, et cetera. But even, you know, the U.S. is still pretty high up that list and, and growing. In addition to that, they're seeing that government as an institution, and again, this is a worldwide study, right? Government is not being seen as able to solve societal problems. In terms of a leadership role, is the government good at coordinating cross-institutional efforts to solve societal problems? It's dropped to the low 40s. And so, you know, when you think about that in the, the lens of the global pandemic, that's an interesting reflection of our current times. People just have this assumption that the government you know, it says in here, successfully execute plans and strategies that yield results, you know, get results. And government's the lowest out of businesses or media or, you know, whatever it may be. But I like quite a bit. Doesn't, doesn't bode well. Well, it doesn't bode well for anyone, honestly. They've seen, too, that institutions are failing to address some of these challenges as well. In fact, they have a specific call out for institutions failing to address existential challenges. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting way to phrase that. And when surveyed about institutions who are not doing well on pandemic response, the majority says they're not doing well. In addition, they asked about climate change. Again, the majority of institutions are failing to address some of these things that are top of mind to people in our society. Side note, uh, this question was not asked in China. Yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, they do call that out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, people continue to struggle with, you know, what's happening, right, around the pandemic. You know, what should be happening, not happening, whether that be state and local government making decisions or businesses themselves, et cetera. I don't know if anybody's too terribly thrilled with the uh, pandemic response. We're all struggling with that and on a national and international level, right? All in, um, governments across the country, across the world, are struggling with this. All institutions are struggling. Edelman also believes that leadership can sometimes help to, to, to qualm the distrust. But when they did a question around societal leaders, they're also challenged with trust. It's interesting. They kind of asked around types of societal leaders, but government, journalists, and CEOs are kind of in that below 50% trust factor. When you get up to higher over to, you know, over to the, the end where it's closer to 75%, you have scientists there or people in my community in the 62%, even yeah. CEOs of my organization that I work for. See, that's an interesting call out, right? Which is, okay, good. I mean, I'm glad scientists are, are trusted. That's good, I guess. But it's funny that you've got like my CEO and my coworkers, you know, pretty high on the list. Whereas when we talk about just CEOs in general, they even fall into distrust. So it's almost like it's everybody else. Absolutely. Which is kind of interesting. It's just kind of funny to me that it's like CEOs, generally speaking, don't trust them. What about your CEO? No, they're good. Well, they do a call out of that. They actually highlight that circles of trust are becoming more localized. Where their higher trust levels are 
in your neighbors, in your coworkers, in your community, there's been a positive increase in trust. That's an interesting dynamic that we're looking at. That's good, right? Like if you assume everything closer to you is better than stuff further away. I think what it paints is a picture of that we struggle with, like understanding things at an international, national, even statewide level, but we have a better understanding and, and a little bit more trust in seeing things happen in our local communities. And I think that that's something that's always kind of been there, but the pandemic has really reinforced that when, you, when it comes to everything. What's interesting is there's a call out in here about that, that distrust is actually the default and that there's no basis for peaceful debate. Really? I, everybody's so amicable on all my social media channels. And everything. <laughs> but, you know, most people, they say his tendency is to distrust until they see something that's trustworthy versus the other way around. And that people lack the ability to have constructive and civil debates about issues they disagree on. This is where the study gets a little bit depressing. We won't get into all of this. What's interesting is, is as they start to look at leadership as a core business function, this is something that I think those of us that work for hospitals and health systems can start to take positive note around this. In the study, they say CEOs are expected to be the face of change. 81% indicated that they think the CEO should be personally visible when dot discussing public policy with external stakeholders or work their company has done to benefit society. It's pretty significant. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think that goes back to some other points they make around the almost 60% buy or advocate for brands based on their values and beliefs. About the same number, 60% choose a place to work based on their beliefs and values. 64% invest based on their beliefs and values. The beliefs and values as led by the folks that run these organizations, it becomes more and more important. Well, and even more so, it's not just on their values. There's expectations of the CEO to speak publicly about controversial social and political issues that I care about. Things like racial inequality, things like the climate change, things like pandemic response, right? These are things they expect CEOs to be sort of the face of. Again, 60% of the respondents want that. CEOs play a big role or people that run organizations play a big role. That's where they want information. They trust that more than the you know general kind of swath of CEOs around the country. So I think it's more and more important as you're lead your team, your department, part of the organization, the entire organization to keep this concept in mind. There's a whole section in their, in their report this, this year that talks about breaking that cycle of distrust. And one of the things they indicate is that survey respondents want more, not less, of business engagement on these societal issues. They want these organizations to be out there around climate change, economic inequality, workforce reskilling, access to healthcare, trustworthy information, and systemic injustice. They want more from business leaders to do. It probably varies, obviously, based on the industry or you know, kind of where you work. But there are some that probably don't. You know, access to healthcare, the trustworthy information, reskilling in the work and the workforce, that kind of thing. But when you think about your own brand and hospitals and health systems brand and its relationship to society, this trust barometer really kind of paints a directional picture of what brands can do. But let's do this, Reed. Let's take a brief pause here. And when we come back, 
We're going to talk a little bit about this whole concept of aligning brands to purpose and share some thoughts around our brands really communicating that value of aligning to purpose with stakeholders. We'll talk about that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, now let's shift a little bit. Chris, you found an interesting article over at uh, CampaignLive.com entitled, Are Brands Communicating to Shareholders the Value of Aligning with a Purpose? And I see that it's written in the year 2022. It kind of threw me off for a second when I first saw that. I thought, wait, when is that? Well, what's that? Is this written in the future? But no, it's like literally, this is where we are now. Exactly. <laughs> you know, are brands communicating the value of the purpose that they're bringing forward? Yeah, all these things that we talked about before the break, right, about like where the trust is and where people want to build trust within local brands. How do experts, and they this article interviews sustainability marketing experts around the world, how they're predicting purpose and sustainability will increasingly become, as they call it, quote, a stick to beat away poor performance, unquote. A stick to beat away poor performance. Uh, yep. All right. I may have to use that on a slide coming up. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, so they, they do ask a variety of different stakeholders from, from, from different organizations like Forrester and Colgate Palmolive and even Dole Sunshine Company, right? The, the pineapple company. They ask these leaders focused on branding and marketing to talk about how are organizations really sharing purpose with their shareholders. The very first part of the conversation, and go to it in the show notes, this article, so you can read more. But one of the experts questions whether the value of purpose is actually being effectively communicated to shareholders. We all know that purpose and profit should work together for sustainable growth, but that connection between purpose and the actual profitable part of your business sometimes isn't being communicated effectively. This expert actually predicts that the emphasis on communications to shareholders should be on the commercial benefits derived from a company that not only produces something people want and need, but also treats its employees well and acknowledges the social and environmental impacts that its company has on society. Here's another uh, kind of quote out of the article that businesses bear a huge responsibility in finding systemic solutions to growth models where they say the people, planet, and prosperity all thrive together, never one at the cost of another. That sounds neat in a sentence. I, I think that's probably you know hard to do, certainly, that you're not having to give up one for the other. Now, we've heard about purpose-driven marketing before, and we actually talked about how healthcare is purpose-driven as an industry, where we're at people work in our hospitals because of the purpose behind it. I think for hospitals and health systems, it, it's actually a, an easier line to, to tie between 
that purpose and profit, because that's kind of the DNA of our mission, vision, and values. But in this particular case, it's really, it's important for leaders to strike that right balance between those financial and non-financial targets. Another expert quotes here says, sustainability and brand purpose have long-term values, and successful businesses balance both well without undermining their financial performance. It almost speaks to that thread of like business can improve, it can iterate, it can innovate to meet society where we're at. And I think that that's kind of what they're bringing forward here, right? Is that business can change and unite these factors together. They talk in here about um, you know, that all organizations have to have a focus on purpose that is far, you know, outside just the the idea of, you know, quarterly profits or growth or, you know, growing or, or whatever it may be. But also talking here that it's true that not all brands within a particular organization need to position purpose as a core part of their brand strategy. Yeah, but still it's important, right? The reason why your business exists and what it cares for can differ from your brand purpose, but that's okay, they say, as long as it's not going to get completely go in completely different directions. Now, again, with hospitals and health systems, we're kind of aligned here. Purpose as they put forward here, has to be authentic and rooted in the DNA of your brand. And this is where some brands get lost. Doing purpose for the sake of doing purpose instead of having a purpose to explain why they exist. Now, I would I would argue that most hospitals in the country don't have that problem. But, you know, you think about some missteps that other brands have done. This is something that we have an advantage over all the other industries. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, you would hope that our uh, promise, if you will, and purpose is somewhat obvious. Now, again, I think people can argue when we see some of the surprise billing and you know some of the things that have happened in the industry that make it a little bit tougher to try to kind of showcase why we're doing it the way we're doing it, maybe. I agree with you on that. However, you know, at the end of the day, we still have the benefits of having that strong original mission, vision, and values around improving health in our society. And that's really the, the big point here, which kind of leads us to read the interview I did, I recently spoke with Rob Rosenberg. We know him. He's been on the show a number of times before. He and I had a conversation about the unique role health systems have in using our brand to help lead our societies through some of the challenges they're having with understanding the public health pandemic we're still in and moving to the endemic phase and how we could start to unmask our marketing and branding efforts. That's, those are his words to guide us through. So after this break, we'll come back and we'll listen to the conversation I had with Rob, and then you and I will be back to close out the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome 
Welcome to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today we're bringing on someone that is an old time favorite, someone that has been on the show a number of times before. And that's my good friend, Rob Rosenberg. Rob, welcome to the show again. Hey, Chris. Great to be back with you and lovely to hear your voice as always. Well, same for you. I I know you and I have been keeping in touch. This past two years has been kind of very interesting to all of us in the industry, hasn't it? It has. It has. I look forward to seeing your face in addition to hearing your voice. So it, it definitely has been. I appreciate that. Not many people say that, so I appreciate you saying that. Um, Rob, you've been on the show a couple of times before, but some people listening in may not know who you are. So why don't we start off before we jump into today's topic, share with them a little bit about yourself, your background, and your company. Okay. Chris, I founded uh, and I'm president now of Springboard Brand and Creative Strategy, and we're a brand communications agency that specializes in healthcare. And this April will be our 20th anniversary, so that's kind of a cool achievement. I'm very proud of that. We're located outside of the Chicago area in the suburb of Arlington Heights, maybe future home of the Bears. You know, before I I founded Springboard, I was uh, a partner in a company. It was really one of the first healthcare, specifically hospital agencies in the country, and was there for about 13 years. So all in all, added all together about 30 years or so in this crazy business and uh, glad to still be here and uh, and hopefully be relevant. Well, I think we all are wondering with everything that we learned before the past two years, because we're coming up now on the two-year anniversary of when the pandemic hit us, right, in the United States. It seems like these last two years have done some tremendously different things to our industry. I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Two years Absolutely incredible. You're right. And, and hospitals and health systems have really been amazing over the last couple of years. And, and their employees are real heroes. Uh, their work's been incredible. And you can believe their dream from the pandemic. Uh, no question. In fact, we're working with the Illinois Health and Hospital Association, and uh, they're constantly providing support for all of their members because absolutely the healthcare workers are tired, not only taking care of, you know, the sick, but also their own families and and administrators uh, have really, if you think about them too, they've had to make tough same day decisions on everything from, you know, bed allocations, elective surgeries, staff retention, recruitment, safety protocols and procedures, uh, you name it. I think they're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and hopefully they can, you know, return soon to some sense of normal hospital operations. Yeah, I I really hope so too. But you know, sometimes it feels like this pandemic, and I I, I you know I think we're going to always for the next few years refer back to milestones within the pandemic. If you think back, right at the very early onset, it kind of took the hospitals and health systems by storm. We weren't prepared, and that's when we were dealing with you know the shortages in PPE, and and there were people out there uh, in the community, kind of very like enthusiastic enthusiastically supporting the healthcare workers. I remember, you know, was it, you know, in, in New York at seven o'clock at night, people would bang pots and pans outside the windows, right? Yes. Just to say, we're with you and we're all in it together. And we all kind of hunkered down inside. We're trying to do our best to weather through. Now here we are. I mean, we've 
gone through that. Vaccines came into the into the scene, and we were like, "Oh, good, there's a light at the end of the tunnel." Uh, you know, even though we had kind of a bad winter last year, I remember there was like a period of five weeks, right, of last summer, where we were like, "Oh my gosh, we're free!" And then all of a sudden, here we are back at a Delta, then Omicron, and blah blah blah. You are indeed right, though. Our industry has been strained to the limits, yep, you know, and yep. right now our employees are are stressed out. The administrators, while they're being nimble and being really trying to rise to the challenge, I'm just wondering, you know, like all of these things, Rob, must have an impact on hospital brand, on the brand of the hospital. I think the brand has really taken a backseat uh, to exactly what you referred to over the last couple of years, which is kind of what you know I'll call the "we're all in it together" messaging, which which is really common from one health system and hospital to the other, uh, and and I think that brand differentiation and messaging has really taken kind of a second tier in terms of where marketers are today. So they're still top of mind, but and it's important to stay top of mind. But I, I think you'll agree that a lot of, you know, the more competitive messaging that's been out in the market has really kind of blended from one competitor to the other. And let's face it, in a lot of markets, competitors are now collaborators and joining forces to promote all those things you talked about, whether it's, you know, the need to get vaccinated, whether it's the, you know, the need to, you know, about safety protocols uh, within their hospitals. I think the brand has presented itself among all these organizations in different ways and, and probably appropriate ways, but maybe now is time to start, you know, shifting that a little bit. So let's talk about how you see us shifting that a little bit, because I think that even in my health system, we're kind of at the point where we're saying, yeah, we do need to start to rethink the way we're approaching our brand. We need to start to rethink about how do we enter the market. And by the way, we not lost on me too, is the consumer mentality has shifted a lot, right? There's still a lot of trust within their care provider, but I was reading some recent studies where they were saying that, you know, they're starting to lose trust in the entity of a health system, so to speak. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I guess I'm a little surprised to hear that because I think that from what I have heard among some clients is their website traffic has been, you know, markedly up. And there's been just a lot more community interactions uh, with the hospital and health systems like at no other time. I mean, you know, since when have hospitals really mattered that much to the community? I mean, let's face it, among those people who don't need them. But today, you know, the hospital leaders are out in front on the news media. Uh, the websites are posting information on, on new numbers and news. Uh, and so I, I think hospitals, you know, in my opinion, have become maybe a little bit more relevant as a result of this, because what we're all facing impacts everybody, not just those who, you know, are undergoing health conditions, but everybody. That's been a little bit of an opportunity for hospitals and health systems to, you know, kind of put that best foot forward. I understand what you're saying there, right? Is that the healthcare has been top of mind for the last two years to just about everybody in the country. And we hear about it all the time in the news, the good, the bad. A lot of times it's the bad, right? right. So now here we are, we're sitting here two years in, March 2022. When you start to talk with hospital leaders, what are you starting to, to help them see the light on? What, are, what, what kind of direction are you giving them? I think that most are really open now to getting back to a more competitive 
differentiated uh, brand position. And that's all in addition to, from a hospital administrator standpoint, renewing their regular operations and, you know, not having to deal with all those things we talked about. So that's first and foremost, they want to, you know, start dealing with the future and not the past and the present. And they really want to, you know, uh, hopefully have a solid workforce that that they can depend on because that's really what's wrapping them up every day. To your point, I really do think that administrators are looking forward to focusing on the future uh, and and making sure that you know all the issues that they've been faced with in the past, all those that we talked about from recruitment and retention and and just getting by day to day. They're really looking at getting back to those goals of patient volume and growth market differentiation, expansion, uh, physician coverage in the markets, new ideas, new products and services they can put out into the community. And I think that's really, you know, where they're starting now to maybe lean a little bit, still having to deal with this day to day, but still starting to look at generating community presence and consumer preference, because ultimately, that's where their growth will come from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's more of that, that that they have now a leadership role of being involved in their community, being part of that voice of of healthcare, quite frankly. Totally. Yes. You also mentioned earlier on about how competitors we've we've by necessity have had to partner with competitors. So I'm curious about that too, because we're are we gonna get back to a world where we're suddenly now like being at a homogenous hospital? <laughs> yeah, or are we gonna get into a world where we're all fighting with each other, Game of Thrones style, you know? <laughs> what do you think? What what do you where do you think we're gonna go? You know, I, I think we're gonna end up back to, you know, from a brand standpoint, I think we're gonna be um, probably a little kinder, you know, uh, because I think uh, some of the these folks have started working together together for really the first time and, and really had a common cause, a common enemy to, uh, to fight against. But I, I do think that ultimately, uh, you know, marketing is about brand differentiation. It's about growth. It's about volume. So yes, at some point, the gloves will be put back on. And I think marketers will start to go at it again from a really from a messaging and a differentiation standpoint and a competitive advantage standpoint, uh, just things that they haven't been able to really focus on these last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, they've kind of been silent in the market about that. In my opinion, I think you're right. We're going to get back to this more of a competitive differentiation, like all the things that you talked about. But I have a feeling, though, that the tone is going to be a little bit different because I think that a, the general public is is going to be more aware of the fact that the role that all the hospitals provide to their community. And so I'm just wondering if, if you know, from your perspective, do you think that if there's anything from a branding perspective platform perspective or a branding positioning perspective that we have to be cognizant of, of like the consumer now and what their view on this is. It's an interesting thought. And uh, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but what I have noticed is that big brands who are seemingly these days uh, going right back at it where they left off are probably, you know, that's the same consumer. I think that they're as aggressive and as competitive as they have been. Will that translate differently to hospitals? You know, I don't know. I think that, you know, maybe, you know, consumers will say, well, you know, these have been my community advocates here for the last couple of years and I view them differently. But but I, I kind of think that uh, like big brands, uh, hospitals and health system brands are going to once again uh, differentiate and distinguish their messaging and really try to separate themselves from the pack. And to your point, maybe do it in a kinder maybe less 
a boastful fashion and a little bit more empathetic fashion, because that's really, from the consumer standpoint, to your point, that's really maybe what has lacked is that empathy and that authenticity uh, of messaging. And, and, and I hope hospitals and health systems uh, maybe share messaging that isn't quite as technical and boastful, and it's a little bit more human. And, and maybe that's you know the new mindset of the consumer today. Boy, we've been talking about them doing that, though, for years. I remember you wrote articles years ago that I still reference today. And, and yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And I'm still waiting for that day, I guess. And maybe it takes something like this to kind of tear those walls down a little bit of trying to uh, speak in such technical terms and, and kind of baffle your way you know, into somebody's mind and, and more so maybe win their way to their heart and, their, you know, and, and, and be relevant to their daily life and to their lives in general. And, and I think that that maybe will be an opportunity now because hospitals and health systems have had to do that the last two years. Maybe that is the lesson that carries over. So I think about hospital branding compared to branding of other industries before the pandemic. I can I can vaguely remember before those times, right? That uh, we were talking about, you know, that the consumer mind shift is 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 shifting, right? And you know, a lot of it is around access and convenience and easy easy access to care and all of those things. We know that those things are with the consumer mindset. But I also look at other like CPG brands and other types of industries, and they really doubled down on like kind of their role in society or their role in making the uh, environment better. I think about like Patagonia and things like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but you know, those, those things seem to be, well, Patagonia maybe is an exception to the rule because they're more aligned with the environment, right. but for, for like industries like Coca-Cola and other ones that really are more like product focused, it felt a little flat. I think that with hospitals and health systems, they've been actually demonstrating living their vision, right. Living their mission, for the last two years because of necessity to the point where they've been busting at the seams. I mean, it's so t- difficult. I have a feeling that's going to be a very strong resonator for the community when, when, you know, a- as they start to, they, I, I guess what a shorthand I'm trying to say is they probably don't have to do a lot of convincing that their your healthcare brand is serving the community because they've been demonstrating it for two years. Right. And, and exactly. And, and let's just hope that from a branding and a messaging standpoint, they remain as relevant in the consumer's lives in the future as they have these past couple of years, because what you're saying is exactly that, that they have been relevant, useful, and meaningful to these individuals every day. And, you know, that's kind of what I hope will carry over uh, as we, as we move forward. So another thing that I'm seeing, Rob, when I look at, when I, you know, with hospitals and health systems, there's been certainly a push around equity, diversity, inclusion that is impacting health systems. And I know that that's a big part of the brand as well. What did, what's your perspective on that? Well, my perspective is um, you're you're exactly right that, and I can tell you that over the past couple of years, more hospital and healthcare have inserted that language into their mission statement than ever before. And where it used to be, regardless of ability to pay, it's now regardless of color and religion and you know anything like that. And and those words specifically are are being weaved into to healthcare mission statements uh, a lot of because of what's happening around us culturally every hospital association uh, is taking you know health equity and racial disparities 
uh, very seriously. It's becoming one of the top five strategic initiatives for most organizations. And, and yes, I think a lot of that has stemmed out of some of the incidents and, and again, cultural sensitivity to it uh, where, that we have today. You know, what's interesting too about that though is it's always been there, at least in the, you know, 20 years now, I guess, that I've been in the industry, you a little bit more than me. I think it's always been there. It's just never been overtly presented, right? It has not, no. And to a certain degree, I don't know if it's if it's been, you know, kind of unified like that in terms of always being there. I think that, you know, certain uh, certain markets and, and organizations more so than others. But the other thing that's interesting is that, uh, you know, new studies are being funded. For example, you know, we're working with a medical association today that is actually investigating uh, and exploring their own members' knowledge and treatment in terms of racial disparities and how certain you know food and, and allergies and so forth impact people of color and they've never done that before so you know even from a medical association standpoint that's it's really just becoming front and center i find that to be pretty exciting and pretty you know pretty inclusive yeah, absolutely and i think that 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 really speaks well right that yeah, totally. we are now getting the voice behind us like again you know 20 years ago when i started in this industry you know we were talking about diversity equity inclusion but just not at the point where it, it kind of made its way into overtly into our mission statements but now it's there it, and it's sort of reinforcing that commitment we have as as health systems as health associations you know to to serving our communities that much better Rob, when you and I first started talking about uh, getting you back on the show, you used this term. You said, um, you know, I think what I want to, you actually said to me, I want to talk about when marketing can unmask itself again. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, uh, interestingly, uh, you know, f- now figuratively speaking, uh, I'm going to say in the next, you know, maybe six to nine months, marketing will be able to uh, move away from some of the COVID related messaging that we've talked about and some of that community, you know, that strength positioning in favor of, you know, more traditional service line marketing brand differentiation. And then literally speaking, you know, what I find is I'm, I'm often asked, you know, when can we feature like the literal, when can we feature people in our work in videos and images without wearing, who are not wearing masks? And, you know, I, so that's kind of what I was referring to. I'm thinking, you know, it's interesting, you know, when can we unmask marketing? When can marketing, you know, kind of take the mask off and really start to create a persona for each individual organization? And that's, you know, again, six to nine months out, I think we're going to start seeing that again. From the literal standpoint, which again, I find kind of funny is, you know, when can we, you know, show people who aren't wearing masks, you know, I guess. It's probably the same the same time period. You know, I'm already seeing a lot of uh, advertising uh, from big brands, and when I say you know advertising, you know, digital, online, so forth, people are just going about their business. You know, we're not seeing that same sensitivity uh, to it as we did six months ago. And on the other hand, I'm not sure that you know the average Jane you know consumer is looking at it that hard. It seems as though, you know, more images and, and videos and so forth are, are being out there now with people, uh, you know, again, living their life. And, and it might be a little ahead and more aspirational. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, I think hospitals and health systems, some here in the Chicago market already show that. But I think, you know, another six to nine months, if everything continues, uh, we'll start taking the mask off from that standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting about that, 
Rob, as you talk about that, I think that you know this is another way that health systems can kind of take the lead. We we kind of announced the the challenges of the pandemic. We've been kind of at the forefront of that. As we start to pivot back to whatever the sense of I don't want to use that term, but I'll use it new normal. I think that if health systems start to you know communicate that, that's going to be one that's very much receptive to the audiences out there. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think people, you know, again, I think it's aspirational. I think it's where people want to be and how they want to see themselves. Uh, you know, in in uh, like I said, you know, hopefully six months or so. Uh, so I do think that, uh, yeah, you're you're right that that will be uh, that will be again uh, a way to be culturally relevant in people's lives. That really is kind of a, another way that we could kind of lead with our brand, right? We kind of lead the community at large. Yeah, I mean, and if nothing else, it's hope. It's it's hope, and it's you know, and and to your point, yeah, it's an indication of where things either are or where they're going to be. And you know, hospitals are so sensitive to that right now. And any physician or dental provider, everyone is really you know concerned about you know showing an atmosphere that's a little more footloose and fancy free than than it is. And and I think hospital health system providers are going to be the last ones uh, really to take the mask off. Again, literally speaking, but I do think that, um, you know, a little bit more, you know, symbolically, it does, again, show how we're becoming way more culturally relevant in our communities and among our, you know, our constituents than ever before. And, and to me, that's, you know, a place hospitals and health systems have just not been. So, you know, again, maybe that's one of the benefits that come out of this. That I like that a lot. I like thinking about it that way. <laughs> So, Rob, this has been a really interesting conversation. Is there anything else that maybe you could that health hospitals and health systems should consider as they, you know, kind of look at where they're at now and moving forward? Well, to, you know, uh, I'm glad you asked me that. Um, I recently wrote an article on customer reactivation. You know, hospitals and health systems and most businesses really kind of look at either customer acquisition or customer retention. And, you know, there's this whole new category as a result of this called customer reactivation. And it's kind of driven by, you know, the, the idea that your customers or your patients, they're not going to competitors. They're just not going. And so reaching out to patients who have kind of gone under the rock for the last couple of years and have deferred their appointments, maybe put off certain things, that's going to be a real hot area for hospital and health system marketers to get more involved in this personalized communications to bring back those individuals to make them feel safe and comfortable uh, in the right environment and that it's okay to start getting their healthcare back on track. So again, it's not like, you know, we're losing these patients out of quote the system. Uh, we're just, you know, they're, they're not doing anything. That's our big competition reaching back and really positioning the health system as you know as the right place to come come back to and your physician and your providers and so forth i think is going to be a real hot area you know i remember we were talking again early stages about this whole concept of return to care this certainly seems like we're on the precipice again once we get past this latest surge to really reach out to 
the people that that have the highest affinity with us, right? Those people that we provided good care for before and say, yeah, it's safe. Come on back. Return to care. Yeah. And even those who, you know, even those who, uh, you know, in, in our own database and, you know, you know, more than anybody, you know, the, the power of uh, CRM and the power of, of the ability to to reach these individuals uh, who show up as uh, you know, as, as not as being dormant. Well, you know, again, it's not like we've lost them. Uh, it's just, they're not doing anything and we need to be the ones to kind of convince them, uh, to get back on their health journey and, and do the right things in order to provide that kind of care. And I think that before we start looking at acquisition or new patients or retention of current patients, I think we have to start looking at, you know, former patients and really starting to re-engage with them. And, And that's a huge sensitivity. And I think a big opportunity. That's so true. Well, uh, you know, I'm leaving this conversation feeling very excited and enthusiastic about the future here, Rob. Thank you for uh, giving me a good positive viewpoint. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad to do that. I I hope that is the case. And, uh, you know, we're we're talking now when, you know, the the things are just a touch on the decline. So maybe there is a reason for that optimism after all. Well, we could always do with more optimism. But, you know, as we're ending our conversation today, um, people that are listening in may want to continue on that conversation with you. What are ways that they could find you online? Well, uh, easily, uh, certainly email me at rob at springboardbrand.com. I'd be happy to talk with anybody or exchange ideas back and forth. Uh, or the company can be found at springboardbrand.com online. And you'll find uh, everything from our blog posts to uh, other news uh, related to uh, this and other topics. So uh, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your time today. Good conversation. Always good. And look forward to our next one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and, uh, and continued success with your show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Special thanks to Rob for coming on the show. Uh, I was going to try to look and see how many times it's been, but I know it's been a handful of times he's been on the show. I always appreciate his willingness to come spend a few minutes, take time out of his day to uh, impart some wisdom. And uh, this was great. Yeah, I think this is his fourth time on the show today. Fourth. Yeah, there you go. That's a handful. Yeah, it is. Well, very cool. So uh, again, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. We mentioned earlier about signing up for the TPS report. That obviously comes with five articles, come out every Monday morning, start your week, which is uh, great. Also down at the bottom of that email, there'll be a couple of links to upcoming conferences. So if you're thinking about education, whether that be virtual or in person or kind of what's coming down the pipe, uh, it's a great way to uh, kind of have that in front of you each week and and uh, keep that top of mind for uh, some of that continuing ed planning you may be doing. So again, sign up if you would, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, let's do a couple of recommendations and we'll wrap the show up. Reed, I am going to recommend this week another television program that came from a podcast. 
Okay. Before I tell you the name of it, because you might recognize it, because I actually think I might have recommended the podcast many years ago. Starring in this miniseries, it's like a, I guess it's an eight-part miniseries, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. Oh. And the podcast slash miniseries is called The Shrink Next Door. Oh, yeah. Do you remember this podcast from Wondery, right? I, I think I recommended it a number of years ago. Yeah, yeah. About a person who starts seeing a psychiatrist in New York. And over the course of that relationship between him and his psychiatrist, that psychiatrist starts to become involved in his business, becomes involved in his personal money matters. They actually start a business or a foundation together. He actually, the psychiatrist moves into the, into the house next to him. And it just, it, it devolves. And Will Ferrell plays the lead of Marty Markovitz, who is the lead of the show. And Paul Rudd plays Dr. Isaac Hirschkopf, who's his psychiatrist. It's a serious miniseries, right? Because this is a serious topic. There is a little bit of humor in it. But I tell you, just seeing them interact together, it you wouldn't even know it, you know, that it is Will Ferrell of, you know, Elf or whatever, right? And Paul Rudd of Ant-Man. No way. It's like a really great thing. It's on Apple TV. An eight-part series. If you have Apple TV, you can go check it out. I re- strongly recommend it. Each episode is about maybe 30, 35 to 40 minutes long. So it's it's completely bingeable if you want to. And it's really great. Nicely done and really, really an interesting uh, show. And it made me try to remember back to how it all ended. And I'll tell you, it's just, it's great. So that's my recommendation. The Shrink Next Door miniseries. And if you're interested, go back and listen to the podcast too, because it's really good. Yeah, that's great. I just made a note here to uh, to look that up. So that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. That's a great recommendation. I'm going to recommend a podcast. Uh, there's a podcast. So there's a network of podcasts called Pushkin. And I think I've recommended Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, before one of us has. Uh, so it's on that network called Pushkin, but it's called Deep Cover. And so Deep Cover, the show, is about people that lead double lives, and season two of Deep Cover is called Mobland. So season two, Deep Cover, Mobland, is about a high-rolling lawyer who joins forces with the feds to bring down one of the most powerful crime syndicates in the country. So it's a real story about this uh, lawyer out of Chicago. So anyway, if you like mob stuff, you like, you know, oh, yeah. uh, kind of the, the <laughs> double secret lives and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's really good. I have not actually listened to season one. It's actually called Drug Wars, which is about an FBI agent who goes undercover with a biker gang. So anyway, I may have to actually go back and check that one out. But um, Deep Cover, name of the podcast, the newest season, season two is called Mobland. I just uh, added it to my my podcast app. And I tell you, the cover art is amazing, too. (laughs) So just definitely check it out. Yeah, Yeah. this looks really great. What a great recommendation, man. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, good, uh, good show. Uh, again, thanks to Rob for coming on. I think it's a great topic as we think about uh, starting a new year purpose, obviously, in our personal lives as well as professional lives, because something we think about. So this is uh, this is a great topic to kind of lean into. Again, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening. We certainly appreciate that. Tell a friend, tell a coworker. We'd love to hear from you. Twitter, LinkedIn, reach out. If there's a topic we should cover, somebody we should have on the show, let us know. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.